0: a teenage diplomat In the dumps with the mumps as the adolescent pumps his way into his hat With a boulder on my shoulder feeling kinda older I strip the merry-go-round With this very unpleasing sneezing and wheezing the calliope crashed to the ground Some hot hats by snapping his fingers, clapping his hands. And some flesh-bought mascots was tied to a lover's knot with a whatnot in her hand. And now, young Scott with a slingshot finally found a tender spot and froze his lover in the sand. And some blood shots, forget me not, whisper daddies with an earshot, save the buckshot, turn up the band.
1: anything else to talk about uh before i before we get into the meat
2: yeah I'm, I'm good to segue to bruce if you want yeah
1: fuck it let's talk about bruce i'm up for possibly talking more about bruce at some point as well but i wanted to do this is just a, a test
2: run see how there's a lot go. to say and, and we did that movie what was it again um, blinded by the light Blinded by the light. Yeah, that was, that was a great movie. Great chance to talk about the boss there as well. Yeah. Do Do you, uh, you still think but... that
1: the the Manfred Mann version of Blinded by the Light that was num number <laughs> that was number one on the US singles charts, Should I add which no song recorded by Bruce Springsteen has ever. Uh, is uh, uh, <laughs> attained as a feed. Oh god. Do you still think that's better than Bruce's version? Oh, because you can hear the I, lyrics. You know what
2: that 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 came on the radio the other day and I was thinking about how, what a dumbass I was years ago. Yeah. And uh you know, we we all have shit takes sometimes. <laughs> I've had shit takes before. Well, so no, no, I'm gonna fix that shit take. That was a. Not- yeah. not- although I did, although it is true that I had no fucking clue what Bruce was singing until I heard the Manfred manfred
0: version. Yeah, he's yeah, but the lyrics are kind of
1: bollocks. I mean, like, I, I mean, they're cool, but it's like just a bunch of like cool words. Struck. I still don't know what the
2: fuck it means. No, no, I mean, he was nonsense he was just
1: super influenced by like mid 60s bob dylan at the time and like you know Fair. early 70s bruce <laughs> is like insanely wordy and by the time he he he'd um got to born to run which in itself still contains some like pretty florid writing like jungle land or something yeah. like he'd really pared down the language because like honestly like no disrespect to like super technical rappers and stuff but like you know There's only so many rhymes you can, like, get in something and maintain, like, meaning and effect.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's something they taught us at uni in creative writing about, like, yeah, getting the rhyme and meter is good, but you can't force it, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I quite like... um, in my own writing to be lax about rhyme schemes and stuff and not always have to or sometimes maybe i'll have a couple you know and sometimes not and
2: if it fits it fits great yeah and
1: part of that is kind of like inspired by bruce and just like looking at the born to run album like songs like thunder road and born to run the two probably biggest songs from that album like the, the rhyme schemes can be pretty loose on on those songs. They're, they're kind of all over the place. And, like, I've heard people, like, there's this whole thing, John Landau, Bruce Springsteen's uh, massive nerd manager. Like, he was, de- like, not only... His, his latest thing was he was defending Bruce's really high ticket prices, which I guess he would as his manager. But, like, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the time before that that he did something egregious, I thought, was when he, like, came out... Um, and a load of people had been saying, uh, it's why does Bruce sing Mary's dress waves on Thunder Road? Well, that doesn't make sense. How does a dress wave?" And John Landau was like, "Actually, it's been Mary's dress sways all along, and we're changing it. We're changing the historical record to represent <laughs> this." I'm just, I'm just like. Why though? Because like, it's rock and roll. Like wave makes it makes perfect sense. <laughs>
2: like just doing some George Lucas Greedo shot first shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I t- I totally think that's 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 terrible revisionism. And like, you know, people are like, right. So the next line is like a vision. She dances across the porch as the radio plays, and people were like. I guess the John Landau school of thought is oh, but waves doesn't rhyme with plays, but sways does, and it's like oh,
2: That's a good half rhyme. It's though. fucking
1: rock and roll. It fucking does rhyme. Fuck off! Like Come on, man. Like, <laughs> what's the difference? You know, it's yeah, it's a half rhyme. Like you said, poetic
2: half rhyme is better than a forced full rhyme. It's
1: enough of a rhyme, anyway. Uh, that's that's like a bit of um. I always say, "Oh, that's a bit of a side note, but you know it is." <laughs> I mean, yeah.
2: I come to you for the minutiae about this stuff. You you <laughs> you know all about the, the backstories and. Uh, what so-and-so said about sh- what line. I love it. Yeah,
1: I'm just like <laughs> a little kid about this stuff. I'm just desperate to talk to people about it and no one will <laughs> listen. What's that
2: enthusiasm. It's great for a podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've just been like listening to pretty much nothing but Bruce recently and like I don't even know how I got onto it. Just one minute I like wasn't listening to Bruce and then the next it, he was all I was listening to and um
2: and i know what it is for me sometimes it's just you get this random thought oh i haven't listened to so and so for a while and then you listen to a couple songs and you're like oh yeah bang in. i gotta listen to whole albums now yeah and mm-hmm.
1: then like a couple of months later i'm like well okay i've been through all 82 editions of <laughs> the bruce springsteen live archive series because uh, <laughs> yeah that is kind of how i work like i sort of cycle around to particular artists and zone in on them and then just listen to Everything <laughs> like there's nothing, there's no stone unturned, you know, in my current exploration of Bruce. And like, yeah, I've, I've, I think I've probably heard all his albums before at some point, and some, some mm. of them many times. But you know, I think that recently I've crossed for the, the last frontier of of, uh, of, (laughs) uh, Bruceology which is um, his 1992 duo of albums which came out on the same day uh, perhaps inspired by Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 which came out the previous year uh, Human Touch and Lucky Town Uh, the story of this was that he'd spent years, his previous studio album had been five years before, 1987's Tunnel of Love, um, great album, and he'd spent years working on the follow-up, Human Touch. And eventually he wrote a new song, I think Living Proof, and he was like, I'm gonna go down to the studio and lay down this tune, uh, and it'll be like the, the jewel in the crown of my new record, Human Touch. But then, like, he just got hit by a wave of inspiration and wrote, like, ten more songs, and then he recorded in, like, a couple of days a whole other album called Lucky Town. And then he put these two albums out on the same day, and they're, like, widely considered to be, like, his his least good records. And like, you know, <laughs> this is a year after Nirvana's Nevermind. His sound had not really been updated for the 90s. It kind of sounded like 80s mainstream rock. Like, especially on Human Touch, like, there's a couple of tracks that sound like... um well, maybe just one track, A Real Man, sounds like who Lewis Lee used. <laughs> just like, make me feel
0: like a real man!
1: <laughs> Although, as, as our friend Stefan uh, said earlier, I, when I showed it myself, you know, you've got to respect Bruce is like totally going through it, even you know, when it's like this, this, this you know, B grade material, if that uh but actually the other funny thing about the human touch album is that it contains the songs uh let let me uh just like get let me fucking just make sure i get this right um yeah it, it contains the songs in this order uh not sequentially but throughout the album um Real World, Man's Job, and Real Man and then to conclude the album, Pony Boy. <laughs> and like I mean, Pony Boy is like possibly the only Bruce Springsteen song that sounds like it could potentially be about gay sex. Although his wife does start singing on it to make just take the edge off it slightly. Although well, actually all his all his songs that are generally kind of love songs that he sings at the mic with Little Steven could could possibly be about um homosexual love if not gay sex but um, but no- nonetheless uh, yeah it's re- really funny like how he's just kind of like it's just like ramming in the, the, the messages about the man, the men and the world and being a man and being a real man in the real world doing a man's job um, or possibly being a pony boy yeah I mean I guess that that kind of speaks to his psyche at the time where, where he was he was I guess pondering what it means to be a man in the world and it's one of his more introspective kind of records uh there's also like about a whole other albums worth of outtakes from human touch for like for for the touch heads out there you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah that he wouldn't release those songs until 1998 on the Tracks box set. But yeah, Lucky Town is, uh, which only has one outtake, which is on Tracks, uh, is is a ten-song album that I think is widely considered to be a bit better than human touch. But you know what? I've been listening to these out, al- both of these albums, quite a bit in the last couple of days, and um, like I think they're good. <laughs> I think I think there's some good stuff on them. You know, a bad Bruce Springsteen album is still, like, you know, good music. It's not, It's not like, <laughs> stuff that's sure. difficult to listen to. And usually on all his albums, I think, like, the songs are mostly of a high standard. It's usually, th- if I dislike something about them, it's, like, the manner in which the songs are presented, the production choices, the arrangement choices... Right. Which uh, for me is generally uh, not the synthesizers that are a problem. Because, of of course, one of Bruce's definitive albums is Born in the USA, which is like one of the biggest, most blown out 80s synth adult records of all time. (laughs) And I just love it. Uh, I think it's great. I love the song Born in the USA. Down, 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 like, massive synth on that. It's like the lead instrument. I love uh Downbound Train, which is like is really kind of like stark, depressing, like new wavy thing because of all the synths. My Hometown, that's all synth. Like, uh, yeah. that's like a mellow kind of synth. And I'm not going to try and impersonate all these synths. So I'll stop doing that. But, like, you know, and then, of course, like, Glory Days. Uh, Glory Days, it's more of an organ, I think, the, the famous riff. It's like a kind of 60s, uh, really brash, garage rock, or like ultimately kind of fair groundy organ. Uh, and then Dancing in the Dark, obviously. And, like, you know, this is just yeah. great music, man. This is just fantastic music. And I love the synthesizers on them. I love.
2: All classics.
1: Yeah, I love Streets of Philadelphia. I love the lonely synth sound of songs like uh, Johnny Bye-Bye that Bruce was cutting on his own around the Born in the USA era. So that's not a problem for me. Um, The the issue for me is more when the drum loops come in in a big way in the early 2000s. It's like, so Brendan O'Brien, who's a producer of Pearl Jam and stuff, got together with Bruce to produce his uh, The Rising, which was at the time his first new album, uh, first album of new material in seven years, uh, since 1995's The Ghost of Tom Joe. And, um, O'Brien tried to move Bruce away from the synths, uh, and, and he, he nudged him towards uh, strings instead. Um, which me is a sonic mistake because like i say synths on springsteen albums are generally awesome but the strings on um a lot of the strings on the rising i just thought were synthesized i thought that they were just like playing them on a keyboard because they have they have a kind of like um undynamic artificial feel and also the the drum sound um yeah i mean like you got mighty max weinberg there who like well he's got swing and everything he's just one of the most on-point drummers around like just submerging him under these fucking uh trip hop uh, <laughs> drum loops like shit that sounds like he's got to be one of the only artists who's like 2000 stuff in a lot of ways sounds more dated than his eighties stuff. Um, cause like obviously a lot of his like quote unquote dated eighties albums, like born in the USA and tunnel of love have become like these touchstone records for a lot of younger indie artists. Like either, you know, even though it's mainly like bands like the war on drugs or like the national or whatever, who have that like born in the USA sound, like, uh, you know Titus andronicus a very bruce influenced punk band will cover songs from born in the usa but with a more kind of like rockin' sound like like some of bruce's other albums so like those albums are great like i'm not sure about the kind of like eric clapton pilgrim vibes of uh of, of certain mm. tracks on the rising but yeah song wise it's re- it's really really strong and it's just, like, really interesting to me how much of America's social history across, I guess, like, history in general, like, um, dating back to, I a mean, hell, Youngstown, great song about mining uh, and industrialization <laughs> and de-industrialization, um, starts with the immortal line, like, you've got to imagine just bellowed, like, in the most, like, weathered, kind of, like, kind of hyper-masculine way possible, like, here
3: in Northeast Ohio, back in 1803, <laughs> like,
1: that's, you know, so you go back to 1803 or further in the songs, but I mean, in terms of the time he's actually been um, cutting records, you know, you get so much of what's been happening in America in that time. Mainly explicitly since the Born of the USA era, um, which includes the Nebraska album as well. That's his most uh, political songwriting that he had done up until that point. But especially in the 2000s, when he became a really kind of, you know, a newly relevant figure after some time being maybe uh, viewed as somebody who was struggling to find a new place at that stage in his life in, in the musical game like um. you know in the 2000s Bruce was back in a big way and you know almost every album that he put out in that time you can draw parallels between um what was going on in his music and what was going well not so much parallels as he was consci- consciously trying to reflect what was going on in America at that time um it's like he, he almost saw it as his social responsibility to comment on um what was happening so like The Rising from 2002 the story goes that this album was inspired by I think a firefighter um if not a cop uh, some uh, like a first responder 9-11 um winding down his window and saying to Bruce like we need you man a strange <laughs> it was just a stranger in a car apparently uh, a few days after the 9-11 attacks um, so there's, there's songs on this album that kind of find Bruce really trying to like bring people together and um, not engage in the kind of jingoism that was rife in the time after the Iraq war for example there's a track called worlds apart which is all about empathizing people in the parts of the world that hate america which includes certain middle eastern singers and stuff and you know that along with the drum loops doesn't work so well but this is actually it's actually like a killer like irish influenced rock song at at its core and sounded really good live but in addition to that you have some beautiful songs that are like literally just about 9-11 from the point of view of um the bereaved families of, of people who uh well uh, into the fire for example like you can re- read into the title you know it's about somebody who died going into the fire to rescue others on september the 11th
2: um pretty literal yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> and, and, and um you know and and with bruce in the 2000s like you know, there's certain stuff, and I'll mention in a bit, some of his stuff gets almost, like, attributed political connotations um, on an almost vibes-based basis, but, like, there's actually a (laughs) lot of very, very, very explicit um, political content on his his 2000s records, and, um, well, in fact, 2010s as well, which I'll get to, early 2010s at least. Um, But, yeah, The Rising... um, though i dislike elements of its production yeah i think i think this is a um an album with some really really good stuff on it it's a sprawling record like 15 tracks and some genuine anthems like lonesome day the opener the closer my city of ruins the title track the rising um waiting on a sunny day which is one of the only bruce tracks that i like really dislike <laughs> it's kind of an optimistic song which i guess was needed at, at the time but i I find it so like jaunty and irritating and when I'm listening to shows from a Bruce Springsteen archives I just smash delete on that one but uh which I barely do with any of his shit like I think most Bruce is kind of like pretty listenable for me um but yeah and and then uh, there's another great track which which they played in the year 2000 actually so uh it's like i guess not necessarily inspired by um the events of september the 11th but there's just like some really cool line on that oh yeah yeah here we go (laughs) um where the road is dark this is just the opening verse where the road is dark and the seed is sowed where the gun is cocked and the bullets cold where the miles are marked in blood and gold i'll meet you further on up the road I, uh, you know i can see why that that sort of spoke to a feeling that was prevalent in the united states and america i don't think it's uh it, after 9-11 i don't think it's a song of revenge or anything but there certainly was a feeling of like i'll see i'll see you further on up the road that just kind of i kind of lost my th- <laughs> i kind of lost my thread there <laughs>
2: I think I get you though. Yeah. But
1: like well America was on a journey at the time and it was a road marked with, with blood and gold. I don't need to get all like Fahrenheit nine eleven and bang on about, you know, the US's oil interests <laughs> in the Middle East, but like, um come on. Blood and blood and gold.
3: Yeah.
0: Where the road is dark And the seat is so Where the gun is cut in the bullets cold where the miles are more in blood and gold I'll meet you further wrong the
1: but like yeah that that al- that album like has has some really good stuff and um something i think which you know maybe deserves some criticism uh, I can't attest that this was genuine. This was Bruce's thought process, but um, it, it is the omission of the song "American Skin," forty-one shots, which was one of the, I think, five new songs played on the nineteen ninety-nine two thousand E Street Band tour, um, which included the now classic "Land of Hope and Dreams." Um, further on up the road. Code of Silence, uh, another thin line. And yeah, this one. American Skin 41 Shots was about the murder of Amadou Diallo. This is in New York City in 1999. He was Guinean, sorry. 23-year-old Guinean student. He was fired upon with 41 rounds and shot a total number of 19 times by four NYPD plane boat officers. They mistook him for a rape suspect... Um, I assume the suspect was just a black guy, probably look nothing like him. And uh, they you know, like fired 41 shots at this young guy and obviously killed him. And uh, yeah, this, they were acquitted, as, as tends to be the case. It was seen as a a good kill. I think that might be the phrase. They basically uh, had seen him reach for his wallet and thought it was a gun so they shot him
4: we need some quiet
1: I mean what could be of a possible utility of four people with guns firing 41 rounds yeah uh, so, uh, some the, uh,
2: and like you, you, you if you meet a cop you're probably gonna be asked to identify yourself where you're gonna get your wallet aren't you yeah I mean that should be something they would expect him to reach for
0: will take yeah, yeah absolutely
1: ride. but even then like how many Cross shots do you need to kill somebody? They just literally. literally no, yeah, go, yeah, total overkill. Go, 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 go.
2: Even if he was literally reaching for a gun, that would be like Quentin Tarantino levels of overkill. Shooting
1: somebody 19 times is like torturing the vendor. Or I don't know, yeah. or just like firing uh, bullets yeah. into a corpse, which I, I, Isn't there some shit in like the Geneva Convention Pray about that? how, how, how that's not like a cool thing to do?
2: Probably. It's, is it it's not a cool thing to do, that's for sure. Like, <laughs> it <not> right? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's decidedly it ugly. To kill somebody and, and then just, eat, like, fucking life? them up, just, like, defiling no their no corpse.
0: It ain't, no it ain't no secret. It ain't no secret. No secret, my friend. You get killed just for living it. you
1: American skin. I think whatever you spin it. Forty-one shots, uh, not justified. I don't know what the fuck? The court that tried them were on. Yeah. So at the time, and uh, I reference here an article on the World Socialist Website, WSWS.org. New York Police Mayor Giuliani attacked Bruce Springsteen for criticizing Diallo shooting. This is an article from fifteenth <laughs> of June two thousand, which was. Um, when Bruce was playing a series of shows on the E Street Band Reunion Tour, which I believe was a 15-show residency at Madison Square Garden in New York. So, um, you know, he was right in the heart of this all, and he debuted at these shows, or maybe at the show just before the MSG run. Um, American Skin, 41 Shots, a new song... um, that proved controversial so you can hear actually on the recording the live recording that's considered the kind of canonical version that's featured on the live in new york city uh record which Mm. came out in 01 which is taken from those msg shows you can hear certain people because bruce asks for quiet and you can hear just like occasionally the quiet will be broke like by broken by somebody just like
0: Hey you fucking queer, Blue
1: Lives Matter Like <laughs> just like you can hear just like these these light boos and so on. Like there's clearly some cops in the audience who are get who who are giving him a frosty reception and you know, it's because they kind of assume that he's gonna be one of them. They're just like, Yeah, this guy He sings about all American issues, like being born in the USA. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most patriotic song I've ever heard. Uh, It's not critical of the American war machine in the slightest, you know? Nah. (laughs) Him, Ronald Reagan, those are my heroes.
3: (laughs) I believe he was
1: Ronald Reagan's hero as well, and presumably Ronald Reagan is Bruce's hero. Anyway, yeah, like, all these cops were really pissed off at him for this song, which is like, I should say, uh, the song is almost like, it's a great song, but it's almost too generous to the cops. It's like, they're leaning over his body in the vestibule, which is a trivial point, it's just a fantastic use of the word vestibule. I've never heard that in any <laughs> other song in, in my life. But um, they're leaning over his body, praying for his life which you know doesn't strike me as the kind of thing but when you've shot a guy 41 times you're going to you're going to be like is he or oh, maybe he's still please maybe he's going to make it this guy who oh should we have shot him only like uh, a few times maybe so if anything the song is not like stridently anti police but it is certainly an anti racist song that makes the point you can get killed just for living in your american skin so you know it does pretty much imply that race was the motivation for these officers to kill kill the guy. Yeah, anyway, so the head of, uh, I believe what are they called? I'm literally, I'm control effing a, a slur uh, to find this quote. <laughs> um, the head of New York State State, the head of New York State Fraternal Order of Police Bob Lucente, called Springsteen a dirt bag and a floating fag so i was like Mm -hmm. i I was just thinking the other day like what happened whatever happened to that guy who called like springsteen a floating fag Uh, which i (laughs) I think bruce said like did things with the english language that he never knew could be done like (laughs) he had to get a dictionary to look that one up or something you know this guy i was like what could have possibly happened to him so i think it would be one of two things like had a massive fucking coronary coronary probably after one of his you know his like 16th divorce uh, like you know heart gave out or number two still <laughs> going and a massive trump guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, anyway tom disso uh actually looked this up and it turns out what he's doing is um Exactly what he was doing in the year two thousand when he called Bruce Springsteen a uh, floating fag. <laughs> uh, yeah, he does. He does police stuff still. <laughs> so, so yeah, he police stuff. It's just police stuff, like one of the guys in Bosch, you know.
2: <laughs>
1: anyway, the Patrolmen's Benevolent Association also was very critical. of Bruce Springsteen he called for a boycott. Of Bruce Springsteen shows said, I consider it an outrage that Springsteen would be trying to fatten his wallets by reopening the wound. Wallet, wallet singular, and all. He's got so many wallets. This rich (laughs) fudge. The wounds of this tragic case at a time when police officers and community members are in a healing period. Which you know, healing, not something that Amadou Diallo could do from his wounds because they shot him forty-one times. Yeah, so they were all very critical. You know, and and they were coming out with that kind of woke cancel culture bullshit about like boycotting Bruce Springsteen and stuff. The New York Police, that that same cop prick who was quoted in the last bit, rallied. Um, yeah, on Tuesday afternoon, hundreds of New York City police rallied in Manhattan against Springsteen. We don't need a millionaire coming down here and making money off our backs on a terrible, terrible tragedy. Just, some, just some one of those accidents where, just like you're and <laughs> forty-one shots, just like come out of your gun, like you know. I hate it when that Lynch happens. Told the cheering crowd. Well, speaking of cheering crowds, uh, you know, on probably that very same Tuesday night. Not hundreds, but tens of thousands of New York City residents and music fans from all over the place rallied in Madison Square Garden for Springsteen. So uh, suck it, you fucking cop assholes. The parents of Amadou Diallo praised Springsteen. His mother... I'm, you know, I'm not going to disrespect her by trying to pronounce her name. It keeps Amadou's uh, memory alive, she told the New York Post. Diallo's parents attended the first of ten concerts Springsteen is giving at New York's Madison Square Garden. The final leg of a year-long reunion tour. They met with the performer and told him they appreciated the song. So, I mean, that's the kind of review that matters rather than, like, these dumb fucking cops who don't even listen to (laughs) the lyrics. But then just, like, let's just... uh, Because this is a socialist website, they do a bit of, like, macro analysis of, like, what the... Bitch ass liberal media were saying At the time so they say (laughs) The silence from the democrats including Democratic senate candidate Hillary Clinton and, (sighs) And the liberal establishment In New York is predictable And in keeping with their recent conduct In typical fashion The New York Times on Wednesday published Two articles with opposing Viewpoints on the Springsteen affair While taking no editorial Position of its own The piece supportive of the singer by critic John Perales went out of its way to avoid sounding any anti-establishment themes. Perales assured his readers that American skin is no anti-cop diatribe, Which it's not, but that's so not the point. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Uh, He continued, With piano chords behind Mr. Springsteen's careworn voice, it's a resonant elegy and a reflection on how fear can become deadly. Uh, John John Tierney, echoing the Police Benevolent Association's Lynch, entitled his article, Has the Boss Really Joined Ranks with the Limousine Liberals? The piece oozes with venom for critics of the police. Tierney doesn't bother expressing sympathy to Diallo, commenting on Springsteen's refrain, 41 Shots. He says sarcastically... Mr. Springsteen did not specifically explain why it is worse to be killed with 41 shots than with one. Probably it hurts more. I'm just going to, like, hazard. (laughs) Uh, But he is firmly on record against the extra bullets. Like, just what a facetious fucking cunt. And, like, the New York Times, like, read that disgusting shit and were just like, yeah, yeah, both sides, you know, pieces of shit, man
2: yeah
1: i mean this is a kind of example of like bruce being the rare you know quote-unquote good liberal like the person who you know (laughs) for what it's worth he stands up he see he sees an injustice and he actually like tries to do something uh to comment on that on it and he uh you know gets props from from the people who were affected by the issue he's talking about because it's clear that he's he's sincere.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Fucking limousine liberal, fuck off! Like <laughs> New York, <laughs> the New York Times is the most limousine liberal shit that there is. You know,
2: it, it so is, man. It, it, it's my dad's favorite news source. Of
1: I fucking, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, hey, but at least they they publish good stuff by, but you know, nice liberals who reassure want to reassure you that. Hey, we don't hate the police. We just think they shouldn't have brutally murdered this one guy because <laughs> you know it's just an isolated incident. You know, a few bad apples. <laughs> yeah,
2: I've, I've never heard of anything like that. And happen. you know,
1: a few bad apples. Uh, what's the expression of uh, about bad apples? A uh, few bad apples are fine. They don't are they fine, don't spoil totally anything. <laughs> 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 so yeah, exactly. Like no no need to worry about that. Okay. To be honest, I actually just jacked that last joke straight out of Bosch. <laughs> That's <laughs> totally. <laughs>
2: I mean, I've heard that like on Twitter and similar. Just yeah, probably stole you know, it from Bosch as well.
1: Out. The most influential show in our lifetime. Uh, it actually, what it actually is, an influential <laughs> show because it was the uh, it was the first like major drama series that Amazon uh commissioned to series order so it was like the start of uh. start of something great uh again jeff, <laughs> the
2: start of big things for that bezos Je- boy Je-
1: that, that kid will go far uh, that nice young <laughs> bald man um jeff we got your back um but anyway i i guess like to make the point returning to what i was saying about the rising i think it's telling that. Although I can't actually attribute why Land of Hope and Dreams, which is a classic song, didn't appear on The Rising, because it would have really fit with some of the kind of anthems of the record. You know, I almost think it's telling, you know, just to be lightly critical of what Bruce may have done, that 41 Shots didn't appear on his post-9-11 record. You know, it's almost like... And, and to be fair, the song had been around for two years at that point. Maybe he... I, was gonna, you know maybe he tired of it well no he still plays it to this day and it's a powerful song and he hadn't recorded it yet mm-hmm. at that point but maybe he thought that it was a wound that shouldn't be opened at that time you know after cops had just died you know going into 9-11 uh, going into the flaming towers to help people and stuff and i'm i'm not saying you know uh 9/11 gave me a new respect for the brave boys of the NYPD, <laughs> but I'm saying that may, you know, that may that was a thought process that a lot of...
2: I'll say that not enough of them in the baby. Oh,
1: oh. Wow. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> well, a lot of people were saying the opposite at the time. They're saying, you know, I've always been a liberal. I've got my criticisms of the police, but you've got to respect the first
2: responders. <laughs> you know. All cops except for once or right? another. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and hey, you know, as we've established, a lot of cops listen to Bruce Springsteen and you know what? Maybe it would <laughs> I mean, I I will say he re- he did record that song in the studio a few years later. It's on his High Hopes album from 2014, by which point Trevon Martin had been killed and there was a whole new surge of anger against racist police brutality. So I don't mean to be too critical. I'm just wondering if maybe he was trying to go for a more unifying kind of thing on The Rising.
2: Yeah, yeah, you got a point. <laughs>
1: yeah, so if I'm just kind of like right now, I'm just going to kind of go go through his 2000 stuff. You've got Devils and Dust from 2005, which to be honest, I haven't spent enough time with. I mean, he's got... I always viewed this as kind of a sequel to The Ghost of Tom Jode, his previous, like, folk-based album, which uh, came out a decade before this in 95. Um, but, you know, A Ghost of Tom Jode, whilst it does feature some, um, you know, a bit of drums and bass and pedal steel and synthesizers and stuff, it is a much more low-key kind of record than Devils and Dust, which, you know, I totally had just in my head, like, yeah, it's the folk record... Um, there's several tracks with prominent electric guitar on it Um, to the point that I kind of thought why didn't he do some of this stuff with the E Street Band you know like it. I hope at least they played some of it on tour because yeah some of it is like good Bruce Springsteen rock music. Bruce wrote a lot of songs that are kind of like about um, you know migrants coming over from Mexico and their travails.
4: Every year there's hundreds of people that, that you know try to that died just trying to come across their southern border and um, they died dehydration in the deserts it was a very hot season this summer and there they died trying to cross the river and um, it's all just to come here and if you like strawberries and if you like lettuce or if you like tomatoes or if you like eggplants all of these things uh, aren't machine harvested they're too they're too fragile so it's all to come here and, 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 and get those things picked and in and, and to your table. If you enjoy any of those foods, the, their hands are at your table, and so uh, it, the risk of life for so little doesn't, it just, it's, it's senseless, it's senseless, and uh, we really need a humane immigration policy here in the States. I wrote this song backwards. It starts uh, starts with the body rising from the bottom of the river and takes you on the man's journey back across the desert to the banks of Madame Morris as he stares across to the lights of Brownsville, Texas. This is Madame Morris Banks.
1: I wrote a lot of songs about, like, you know, character studies of, like, people in the war on drugs. Generally, like... Yeah, he's got a song. I forget what it's called. I think it might be on the Ghost of Tom Joad. But there's like a there's like a meth song on uh, Ghost of Tom Joad. Like real fucking like proto Breaking Bad narrative on that. Like he he goes deep on uh, on some of his crime songs. You know. So yeah, like maybe there's more to get into on uh, on Devils and Dust at a later date because like that. That, that is a, a, a you know a pretty good album. I haven't spent enough time with, but like, there's actually speaking of the line I highlighted uh, on further on up the road, there is a line on the song "Devils and Dust," which I think speaks like really powerfully to where America was at in 2005, two years into the war in Iraq.
0: Well, I dreamed of you last night. Honey. Field of mud and bone Your blood began to dry The smell began to rise We've got God on our side We're just trying to survive What if what you do to survive Kills the things you love Fear's a powerful thing Turn your heart black you can trust It'll take a soul. Fill it with the devil's hand
1: does. And this song was actually written, or at least it was first played by the E Street band at Soundchecks and possibly live in 2003, just when the war in Iraq was kicking off. But it presages Bruce's next album in seeming Almost directly concerned with that, but interestingly, like the year before *Devils and Dust*, whilst the E Street Band had toured uh, big time in 2002 and three for *The Rising*, I believe Bruce had played one song of *The Rising* a year before its release in 2001 at the 9-11 tribute concert <laughs> a tribute nine, <to> 9- <laughs> the tribute of our hijackers <laughs> to the brave fighters of a mujahideen um <laughs> they um you know um he played at america a tribute to heroes uh, you know, again, he didn't bust out American Skin 41 shots at that one, I'll, I'll say. <laughs> um, he played My City of Ruins, which is a great anthemic song, it's kind of I've written run. to the tune of People Get Ready, by um, which Curtis Mayfield wrote in the down. impressions, which instantly evokes uh, the rich history of the just struggle for civil rights old. in America. But uh, My City of Ruins, as well as. Af- it was written about Asbury Park when you grew gone. up and its kind of dilapidation in a post industrial age. So, again, ruins. that's some political Bruce for you. But it then became a kind of very opposite song in the My wake of, of 9 11. So he premiered that song on America a Tribute to Heroes. Then it. Resurfaced again at his 2006 festival appearance at Jazz Fest in New Orleans. Obviously, a year after Hurricane Katrina. My city of ruins once again became a very resonant song, and I think again that appeared on the 2012 tour for Wrecking Ball when he was playing a lot of songs concerned with you know economic inequality, and so it almost it reverted to its original intention as a song about you know the core of the American city being stripped apart by an uncaring neoliberal system. Maybe that's not how Bruce would put it, but I think that's what he's saying
0: up come on rise up come on rise up come on rise up come on rise up come on rise.
1: Up. Come on, rise up. Then in 2004, after the rising tour of O2 and O3, The E Street Band joined uh, R.E.M., Neil Young, Pearl Jam, and a bunch of the other great and good of American rock. uh, uh, Canadian rock, in Neil's case, I guess. (laughs) um, To play the Vote for Change Tour, which was um, a nominally non-partisan... Uh, tour about like um voter registration uh, and voter getting people to vote <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get the vote get out the, get vote, out the vote yeah, yeah. exactly
0: now I fly my trade in the land of king dollar where you get paid and your silence passes as honor
1: Yeah, it's, it was supposedly not about uh, getting George W. Bush out and uh, John mm-hmm. Kerry in, but I don't really understand this. Because
2: there's only really one side that ever really tries to make it easier for people to vote.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But uh, but but I don't even understand what this whole posture was about. Because it was called the Vote for Change Tour, and, and the president <laughs> the president was George Bush. Like. <laughs> yeah that's kind what of what the yeah. fuck like oh, oh vote it's not about john Kerry; it's about uh we need to recall george bush yeah, and get another republican in was, there it, was Nader running in 2004 it's like yeah vote i think yeah, so vote for Nader. vote yeah. for Kerry, whatever <laughs> i guess i guess if there may well have been some like Nader supporters there like you know so that that, that, that yeah. might be true but yeah they played that And I mean, I I haven't heard any good quality shows from that, but there's this one performance of Souls of the Departed off Lucky Town with Neil Young on lead guitar, which uh, the shitty audience recording on YouTube uh, fucking kills, and I really hope that their camps can finalise some shit and get that out there uh, for the listening public. As someone who collects bootlegs of both artists, that would be like some holy grail shit for me to get a, a good version of uh, Souls of the Departed with, with Neil Young on the Vote for Change Tour 2004. Yeah, nice. But yeah, then let's move on to... Uh, he did the Seeger Sessions record, which I already gave a little critique of earlier. Although, a special edition of the album does come with a new song in the form of a live version of... A song called American Land, which is all about how the Italians, the Irish, the Germans, and the Jews, all these different groups of people came from all around the world and made America what it is today and built the country. Basically, a pro immigration song, like an ex- explicit uh, pro immigration
0: protest song. <laughs> The blacks, the Irish, Italians, the Germans, and the Jews—they come across the water, a thousand miles from home, with nothing in their bellies but the fire down below. They died building the railroads. They worked the bones and skin. They died in the fields and factories. Names scattered in the wind. They died in get here a hundred years ago. They're still dying.
1: always trying to keep out it concludes with the line uh the hands that built the country they're now trying to keep out so it's explicitly referring to uh the the political climate of the united states in the late bush era and you might say but donald trump invented anti-migrant sentiment in the united states before that the republican party was a bunch of decent people who you might disagree with them on, you know, the economy, but they stood up for American values, right? Right? Um, Sure. Yeah, Fox News in, like, 2006 definitely wasn't all just like, they're coming! They're coming! (laughs) They're gonna
3: kill you! (laughs) They bring drugs! They bring crime!
1: (laughs) Like, no, Trump Trump was the first person to have those thoughts. Uh, But yeah, anyway... So uh, American Land didn't actually appear on Bruce's next album, Magic. But this album I have developed a real appreciation for. Again, it's produced by Brendan O'Brien. But I mean, I guess maybe he persuaded Bruce to wind in the drum loops or whatever, because this, this, my friend, is a rock album. This is uh, Guitars, 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 Barely a Sax Solo Barely a piano with it in earshot, and those are pretty big things in uh, East Street Band records generally. But it's a really good record. It's full of like songs that, when you kind of really listen to them, they're quite explicitly about the Iraq War and about America in the late Bush era. For example, Gypsy Biker. You know, it's kind of you kind of think, oh, this is a, just sort of like a mysterious song about like this cool. It's, like, Gypsy James Dean, I guess. Like, it, you know, a, another rock song that invokes, like, the Roma people was this kind of, like, mystical signifier. But, you know, it was a different time, man. Like, 2007, that's, like, 100 years ago or something. Gypsy Biker is a great song, and it's basically all about this 9- ni- this, not 9-11, this Iraq War veteran. This soldier in the Iraq War who gets killed, and then his friends take his motorbike out to the desert and burn it. It's a really stirring Whoa. song, and it features, like, lots some epic dual lead guitar action from Bruce and Stephen Van Zandt. That song, I can't get enough of, like, any live version that I can find. Like, the closer it gets to seven minutes, like, the closer I feel I'm getting to, like, the perfect version of Gypsy Biker with, with loads of jamming. But yeah, again, that's just a song. I thought, oh, it's a good song, but I never realised kind of like how much it is about the Iraq War, like how much it's about the human
0: toll of this war.
1: say okay it's all very well to like say oh our brave boys are dying in Iraq but like what about you know the false premise of the war you know the fact that it was a war fought on lives and Bruce would say well I agree with you uh, and, and he would produce a song like Magic the title track which he would introduce on tour by saying
0: here's to the end of eight years of bad bad magic well, here's to the end
1: Please, please, of eight years of magic tricks. It's a song about illusion and sleight of hand and, uh, you know, uh, dishonest, government dishon- You know, <laughs> It's a song about, like, the dodgy dossier that Alistair Campbell f- foisted upon the world before he murdered Dr. David Kelly. Like, you know, it's that... <laughs> that kind of shit and then there's an amazing song called Last to Die which kind of comes right after the song Magic and continues its themes and the chorus of that is we'll be the last to die for a mistake it's like you know mm. we, these, our boys are not dying for a good reason um, and like I said there's a, you get a song like Worlds Apart when Bruce could have been like let's invade the Middle East let's kill them all he made a song called Worlds Apart on the Rising, which is about empathising for people in, the, in other parts of the world. Bruce has got that covered as well. It's like, we can assume, like, yeah, he does care about, like, the Iraqis who are getting killed as well. And, like, Neil Young, on his album Living with War from 2006, like, you know, that's all shit about, like, Americans getting killed out there and stuff. To a fault, like, it's really single mindedly about bringing our boys home. That, that record. Hmm. Um, and whilst Neil maybe, you know, Neil fucking basically names Bush and he has a song called Let's Impeach the President and goes a bit more explicit with some of it, if you really just, just not even fucking sit down and read through all the lyrics, but just listen, you'll catch stuff that is explicitly anti-Bush. There's this song living in the future. And, you know, so, so I'm not grasping at straws here. This is like the fourth or fifth song i've named that's about this stuff devil's arcade as well fantastic like but living in the future it's this like up-tempo song uh like funky soulful kind of song and by the way bruce borrows from himself so much on this record like uh our work for your love starts with this piano bit that's like ding 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 ding, and you're like Ah, thunder road fantastic i love that song and then it's like oh okay this is a (laughs) a slightly different melody Um, and like uh, Living in the Future sounds so fucking much like 10th Avenue Freeze Out basically Bruce would like do this bit of stage banter like while the band were like jamming the riff of the song on the tour and he'd like he'd start off and he'd do the stuff like how are you doing boston (laughs) kind of stuff like you know make sure you're not make sure you're not in like charlottesville like how okay uh boston how are you doing boston (laughs) in fact yeah i'm literally i'm saying boston because one of the bruce springsteen archive releases of shows from a magic tour is from boston so he does a bit of like crowd banter and then he's like okay let's get serious for a minute he's
0: like this is a song called living in the future except it's about right
1: now and he literally i'm not even joking (laughs) with his affectation he did it really like hey i'm just goofing around here and then he'd like just get really serious and just be like the last eight years we've seen these some things added to our our american picture that we uh that concern me a lot you know like uh uh extraordinary rendition no habeas corpus the patriot act but he like lists all these like uh, yeah stuff that's like spot on about what the what, mm. the ways that <laughs> the bush administration fucked up america and like at least on that Boston show, like, you can hear a pin drop. It's like, everyone's, like, hooting and hollering along. And then he starts, like, criticizing America. And they're just like, is this guy fucking queer? Like, <laughs> it's like, it gets really dead. And then he's just like, and you know, the thing about all this stuff is, it's against the constitution. And then finally some people <laughs> in the audience are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> like, he, he like, it's, it's kind of like a masterclass because he like, get, he <laughs> like gets down in the muck, like on people's levels. Like, how are you doing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like banter. And then he's like, Okay, so let's talk about, like, uh, Extraordinary Rendition. (laughs) Like, let's talk about Detention Without Trial. And then, like, after that, he's just like, the Constitution, and bam, he's got them back. Like, this man, this man is a master. What can I say? Yeah,
2: he knows his audience. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: This is a song called Living in the Future, but it's about what's happening now. about how along with all the things that we love about America and the towns and the cities that we come from and the things that make us feel a part of, of our home, we've had to add to the American picture over the past six years, things like rendition and illegal wiretapping and the rolling back of civil liberties, no habeas corpus, the right to defend yourself against charges, brought against you in court. And because of the color of your skin or your circumstances or your religion, you might think that these things don't have an immediate impact on your life. But all of these things are an attack on our Constitution and are an attack on all of us as Americans and on our moral authority around the world. So this is a song about sleeping. Sleepwalking through changes that shouldn't have happened here that have happened here.
1: So yeah, that's just a bit about Magic, which is really good. Then pretty much on the Magic tour, like he wrote a new batch of songs and so they just kept going. They didn't take a year off after touring or whatever. They toured 2007 and eight, and then 2009 they came back out with a new record, Working on a Dream, which is the last E Street Band album to feature Clarence Clemens on saxophone, the big man himself. And Working on a Dream is widely considered one of Bruce's more misjudged records. And, you know, Mm. frankly, not without reason. I actually just listened to this album immediately before we recorded. And I was really set to be like, actually, Working on a Dream is fire. People have slept on Working on a Dream But no, I mean, this album doesn't really hang together, to be honest. Like, it's maybe not exactly what people say it is politically, but at the same time, there's a lack of political content that certainly makes it feel lightweight compared to the last three Bruce albums and possibly a return to, you know, the, the themes of the Human Touch Lucky Town era. Um for example, I heard some, uh, yeah, that's not exactly going to thrill most people, is it? Like, yeah, man, it's, a, it's a, you know, a callback to the days of Human Touch and Lucky Town. I've heard some fans defend parts of this record. Like, I remember one person saying that Kingdom of Days is maybe his most mature song. And if, like, you know, if that means it's, like, a big blown-up ballad about, like, being in a long-term marriage in your 60s, then, yeah, I guess, like, yeah, it kind of is, like, mature in that way i i ain't listening to that shit <laughs> like it's not i was real i i think it's a cool title it's like a fucking ridley scott film or something and i so i i was like down to listen to kingdom of days and was disappointed by how it's this big like there's several kind of like roy orbison style big 60s pop kind of ballads and like hmm doesn't do it for me really lyrically or musically that that side of Bruce. It's like, you know, out of all the, like, outtakes from The Darkness on the Edge of Town, you can get 22 of them on The Promise, the two CD release they put out in 2010. And, you know, I think Bruce made all the right calls about what material to put on Darkness at the Edge of Town. Like, it's a fantastic, dark, heavy-hitting album. And, yeah, the stuff that's on The Promise... It's good music, but it's you know, it's not on that record for a reason. It's like maybe if he'd have put out this like kind of fun soul album, it would have been a whole other side to Bruce, but it wouldn't have been my favourite record by him. And um Darkness on the Edge of Town is my favourite record by him. So yeah, I just listened to this album and yet it starts with Outlaw Pete. And I was really thinking, like, what if people have just slept on this record because it begins with an eight-minute song about a baby who robbed banks?
0: He was born a little baby on the Appalachian Trail At six months old he'd done three months in jail Here robbed the bank in his diapers and his little bare baby feet
1: Which steals steals a significant part of its melody from the Kiss song from the '70s, uh, Which Paul Stanley of Kiss has acknowledged And he just said like, look, (laughs) who's going to sue Bruce Springsteen? That'd be like fucking Shooting Father Christmas (laughs) And Paul Stanley loves money like, no band loves more money more than Kiss. Like, if they thought that they could <laughs> take the PR hit, they would have sued Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> um, they would have shot Santa if they thought that they could financially benefit from that. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> he, he, he should, yeah, yeah, oh, trust me, man, I've run, I've run the numbers.
1: <laughs> this is the, the next step for the Kiss brand. <laughs> the the, the, the Santa murder case. Uh, It's going to keep us on television screens for ages. We're going to be the new OJ, whose career has only gone from strength (laughs) to strength. (laughs) Got a book deal to write If I Did It. he was in a Sacha Baron Cohen show. (laughs)
2: Um, Anyway, What more do you want in our life? (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) working on a dream. The Last Carnival, which is a tribute to Danny Frederici, the longtime E Street Band keyboard player who died in 2008 of melanoma. I think his son might play accordion on The Last Carnival, which was Danny's signature instrument. So that's a really touching record. And, you know, showing the signs of an artist advancing in years. It's the second Bruce album in a row after Magic, which concluded with Terry's song to end with a tribute to a recently deceased comrade. So, you know, his his last album, uh, A Letter to You, That's it, right? Yeah, Letter to You from 2020. It's full of that shit, you know, like, (laughs) sadly when you're, like, gaining on 70 or, you know, 60 in this album's case, some of your bros are gonna die. But, you know, Bruce, very thoughtful guy, keeps... He's thinking about this stuff, he's processing it. Uh, He's also thinking about bank robbing babies. But I I should say, like, Outlaw (laughs) Peak. Outlaw Peak, like, gets quite good in my view but I just think, like, putting it as like track one is insane <laughs> like that's the kind of thing that neil <laughs> young does <Balls> <laughs> yeah 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 and like track two my lucky day is the most like classic bruce song of the album just like this big anthemic rocker that's a mere four minutes long you know <laughs> Come on, it's insane that that wasn't track one, at least. You know, at least put Outlaw Pete as track two, right? if not like track track eight or something. Come on. But I will say, like, if you get past the highlights of Queen of the Supermarket, which is just Bruce, like, horning out over a woman at the supermarket checkout, which like features him using the F word for some reason, just like really, like... He blew his load on that F word in my view, um, <laughs> because it's it's not like a very impactful use. He's like, as I lift my groceries into the car, I turn back for a moment and catch a smile that blows this whole fucking place apart. It's it's just not earned in my view.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you.
1: But life itself is is a, a fucking that's for stuff like that is like it's It's like the kind of it's like the kind of shit that you go through a record and you're like okay like this is all right like i like the guitar even though know, it's a song about a bank robbing baby like you know you go through you're like finding the <laughs> positive then you hear life itself at track nine you're like okay now we're talking you know and tomorrow never knows the track before that that's a good one as well which is not the beatles song but pioneered new psychedelic sound techniques in 1966 it's a a nice country song Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah this album is seen and mainly i think vis-a-vis the title track which he also played at his Super Bowl halftime show in 2009. Baffling choice, by the way. It does not go, like, the rest of the set This was, like, Badlands, Glory Days, Born to Run, like, the sickest shit. And then he's just like... I'm
0: working, working on a dream. I'm
1: working on a dream. But the, the song Working on a Dream, and I think this speaks to why this album is viewed as something where Bruce misjudged the mood of the times... It's almost, it's like an Obama optimism song. An early Obama optimism song. It's like, well, things have been rough, but we're all working together to build this American dream. You know, it's that kind of, it's that kind of thing. And, you know, in 2009... That's like the the height of a fucking credit crunch. Like that's like peak recession. It's a fucking mad like thing to be <laughs> like, to be like turning this optimistic like just because the guy in the White House changes. You know that's how people rightly or wrongly viewed this record as like magic. Bruce like was attuned to what was going on, and then he, <laughs> then he slipped. Like he he kind of like lost touch with what was happening and didn't realise that, you know, for a lot of people, shit was even worse from the last time that he'd put pen to paper for a set of new Mm. songs. So, Working On A Dream, yeah, that album, though there is, as always, there's some good stuff on there, you know, it's not, I think, one of his more compelling statements. But just to wrap this up, it's interesting because from Working On A Dream to his 2020 podcast, or 2021, whatever it was, Renegades Born in the USA, you can almost trace the sort of liberal journey with Obama, or at least the, you know, almost a, a kind of conscientious but fundamentally liberal, liberal's journey vis-a-vis the 44th president, am I right there? Yeah. Got it. Uh, anyway nice one nailed that shit um anyway like so you know working on a dream you have you know this was around the time bruce played the inauguration and everything as well he'd campaigned for obama he'd you know rightly endorsed him against hillary in the democratic primary bruce i mean he did campaign for hillary in 2016 but he never seemed like into her well he didn't endorse her in the primary against bernie you know i would obviously prefer if yeah. i would prefer if bruce felt the burn but he didn't endorse someone against him you know so he never seemed like that into hillary although he did say people should vote for her against trump and i think he played like one rally for her but yeah he was pretty into obama and working on a dream although like i say the political substance of that record can be overstated because there there like really is not much at all that was obviously you know a door <laughs> to quote tony blair after the labor won the 1997 election a new dawn has risen has it not that was how like a, <laughs> lot, a lot of liberals were feeling a lot of people you know a lot of good people a lot of leftists a lot of us i was feeling like that you know obama's in great he's gonna sort uh, it.
2: i do recall somebody i met at college having an obama wallpaper on their Laptop. <laughs> oh, was that me? <laughs> yeah, <bro. laughs> I, I totally don't remember that. I was like, "Who was
1: that dickhead?" That way back in first yeah, year. Probably, you, you got. Was yeah. it him? Like drinking a beer.
2: It was just, I think it was just him giving a speech. Him, him and Bob Dylan was it in front of American flags? <laughs> fucking
1: hell, that would it would have be been cooler if it was him and uh, Bob Dylan or he, sort of something.
2: You'd get a pass anyway. That yeah. sucks.
1: Yeah, and that was like uh, when he was running for his second term as well. So that was way less excusable. Well, I while I was like <laughs> fucking getting still like four years on, hyped up with the Obama mania. Like, how many fucking drone strikes (laughs) had he done at that point? Like, Bruce was realising that there were, you know, cracks in the veneer. He was realising not everything was what it seemed, that a change of administration had not solved all America's social ills, and that perhaps his optimism three years prior had been somewhat misplaced. So, with 2012's Wrecking Ball album, Bruce captured the disillusionment of a conscientious liberal in the direction of the obama administration the wrecking ball while working on a dream had effectively completely swerved for major economic crash that had taken place the previous year and that continued to be felt around the world wrecking ball takes it on head-on in virtually every track the title of the first song, We Take Care of Our Own. Again, that was something that I think made a lot of people wary. The opening track and the first single of the album. When Bruce put out this new kind of big anthemic song, We Take Care of Our Own, people were like, oh no, working on a dream part two. Bruce is just again saying, you know, we're, we're, this is what we do in this country. We work together and we build a better future. However... <laughs> the song was saying this is gonna blow your mind this is gonna blow your mind you know how the song born in the usa is not just about how it's an awesome thing to be born in the united states of america well
2: you don't say. we
1: take care of our own was in fact saying that america is not doing that but should be doing it time <laughs> and that's some radical shit Whoa. right there yeah Mike yeah to quote i think ah oh, shit it was either jim Dirigatis or greg greg cotton sound opinion so like the boss don't do irony well you know i don't think it's a sophisticated irony but i think it's a it's a fine message uh, and you know as good as as any that he's put out there I don't think you could read it as, like, apologia for the iniquitous state of the United States (laughs) on a class level or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's pretty clear what he's saying, I think. But then the next song, Easy Money, seems to be all about going out to do some crimes. uh, Because, like, you know, how else are you going to make money in this parlous economy? It's like... On Nebraska, there's two different songs where the protagonist says, I've got debts but no honest man can
0: pay. Well, I got a job and tried to put my money away But I got debts that no honest man can pay My judge, judge, I got debts no honest man could pay A bank was holding my mortgage, taking my house away
1: People who commit crime in Bruce's stories are generally driven to it by extreme poverty. Shackled and Drawn is a kind of hymn to, um, you know, I guess like the American work ethic. It's a very uh, gospel-influenced song. There's a line which is like, shovel in the dirt keeps the devil gone. Bruce, you know, certainly making a, you know, valorizing work in itself, but I think in turn saying... And this is one reason why workers should get a fair deal in this country, because, you know, they're the backbone of America. They're the people who built this country in the words of American land more on which in a second jack of all trades then again like touches on these same themes death to my hometown is an awesome song it's just, like got like a dropkick murphy's kind of irish thing and this album by the way like the production is just insane it goes beyond like being dated or anything to just being like totally one of a kind it's just like they're like fucking let's throw on some bagpipes here let's get a full gospel choir here let's like get the E all also just like add all this like mad shit like loops of fucking shit like it's honestly it's a crazy record it's like bruce was just like how much of america can we fit into the arrangements like let's get a mariachi band on this one even if you can't really hear them for like 20 seconds because then we have like you know a whole gospel thing that goes into a rock section like <laughs> It's like he tried to recapture the melting pot that he sings about in American land in the production and arrangement choices of the record. But, but yeah, Death to My Hometown is all about, you know, no cannonballs did fly, no rifles shot us down, no bombs fell from the sky, no blood it soaked the ground, no powder flash blinded the eye, no deathly thunder sounded... But just as sure as the hand of God, they brought death to my hometown. Who is they, you ask? Well, I'm afraid just another uh, left-wing extremist is resorting to anti-Semitic inflation. stereotypes. It's like Van Morrison. Yes, for those that control the media, it is. You know, <laughs> talking about these the vague, nebulous establishment control. forces. The no, there is no establishment. There's no kind of. there's no capitalist class uh, any criticism of vested power clearly must be a trope no it's just, it's basically yeah. it, it's just like basically about it's like the same as the original meaning of the song my city of ruins it's like about how how capitalists how neoliberalism will take this will take a, a community take a city and just strip it of everything it's got. They'll, they'll strip it bare and sell it for parts. Yeah. yeah. It's about, you know, economic violence. That's what the song is about.
2: The neoliberal order of the day. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Like this depression then is Bruce like in uh, playing around with the double meaning of depression. So he's someone who suffers from clinical depression himself, which is like thinking of his persona and you think... Uh, it's a persona he's a depressed guy who is like able to become superhuman for three hours on stage you know uh, because he can like switch on this thing remarkable really but, but but yeah he's still like on the economic thing on that song as well and then wrecking ball again going back to the themes of uh, deindustrialization and the death of communities the death of towns uh, to you know engage in a bit of lisa nandy thought on wrecking ball the title track he repurposes a song that he originally played on the working on a dream tour in 2009 as a tribute to a football stadium that was being torn down, that he played a bunch of times. He makes this song about, you know, all, like, standing up in the the face of, uh, you know, capitalism that is stripping down everything in your life that you hold dear. It's fucking amazing, like, repurposing of something written for quite a silly reason
2: yeah (laughs) like
1: Rocky Ground is the only Bruce Springsteen song to feature rapping in he doesn't do the rapping but he did write it the Mm. woman who does the rapping she's a singer she's not actually a rapper she's like you're black
3: (laughs) nah she does a
1: solid job it's more like spoken word than rapping anyway but it was trailed as like the boss goes rap then he finally gets round to recording Land of Hope and Dreams the song that he premiered all the way back in 1999 in the studio. And then there's We Are Alive, which is... I, I just, like, read a little bit of the lyrics of the album's ostensible closer. We Are Alive, which is some pretty powerful stuff, because he's, like, invoking the struggles that have taken place among the dispossessed and marginalised in America. A voice cried, I was killed in Maryland in 1877. When the railroad workers made their stand. Like, fuck, man, he's talking about workers' struggles. Like, that's amazing. Nice. Um, well, I was killed in 1963 one Sunday morning in Birmingham. Like, he's talking about the racial struggles. Yeah. I died yeah. last year crossing the southern desert. My children left behind in San Pablo. He's talking about the struggles of migrants. Base. Well, they've left our bodies here to rot oh please let them know that precedes the chorus which is we are alive and though our bodies lie alone here in the dark our souls will rise to carry the fire and light the spark to stand shoulder to shoulder and heart to heart again it's a song it's a song of solidarity beautiful
2: really good really cool. really good cool.
1: voice cried i was
0: killed in Maryland in 1877 when the railroad 63. One Sunday morning in Birmingham. Well, I died last year crossing the southern desert. My children left behind in San Pablo. Well, it left our bodies here to rot. Oh, please let them.
1: There's two bonus tracks in the album. One of which is uh, <laughs> a weird, like, fucking sailor song he wrote called "Swallowed Up in the Belly of a Whale," where he's like, sing- he's like singing in like 1800s pirate language about being eaten by a whale. <laughs> <laughs> it's like after all these heavy political songs just like <laughs> now here's sure here's, like <laughs> the theme to an unproduced Moby Dick movie like and then 13 <laughs> he finally does a studio version of American Land reaffirming those lyrics about the Mexican migrants on We Are Alive you know he sings about the hands that built the country they're now trying to keep out And, like, Wrecking Ball, like I say, like, it's maybe an acquired taste because, like, the production is insane (laughs) on it by Bruce and Ron Aniello, his current production partner. But I think it's really, like, one of the most powerful political records of the 2010s. And it's one reason why I think Bruce, in the Trump era, he went pretty quiet in terms of, like, trying to... Make these points with his music. I mean, he didn't release a record between 2014 and 19. And then when he did do a record in 2019, it was a bunch of story songs from a point of view of Leonardo DiCaprio's character in What's Upon a Time in America. Meant Hollywood, obviously, no shit. You know, songs about like cowboy (laughs) movies in the 60s and more introspective stuff that probably dealt with, you know, he's been very open in his memoir about how in the 2010s he turned 60 and not necessarily because of that but he you know had one of the worst waves of depression of his life so i totally understand why bruce has not taken on donald trump directly in his songs and i'm almost glad he hasn't because he said Mm. like all there is to say about these issues donald trump didn't invent the inhumane treatment of migrants like although he treated them very inhumanely Donald Trump did actually more drone strikes than Obama but he didn't invent the drone program he didn't invade Iraq <laughs> Bruce has like addressed so much of this shit that like you can put on any of his records you can put on Born in USA and some of the songs on that that have themes about you know economic inequality and it's st- it speaks to what's going on now He's covered so much in his shit that you can permit him maybe making some more introspective records at this point in his life.
2: Yeah, yeah. Makes sense.
1: Oh, I just wanted to say, while I'm talking about Wrecking Ball, there was a bit of consternation among some fans. I mean... Well, the fact that he'd played Wrecking Ball live three years earlier, he'd released a live version of it three years earlier, and then suddenly this is not just a song on his new album, but it's the title track, it's the centrepiece of the record, and then land of hope and dreams you know fans had been listening to that song for 13 years at that point a version of it had been out on the live in new york album for 11 years and then one of the bonus tracks american land he'd by this point been playing live for six years and had released a live version of that already at least one live version so fans i can see why people were kind of disappointed but I feel like when he'd written a new batch of songs like Shackled and Drawn, Death to My Hometown, This Depression, We Are Alive, We Take Care of Our Own. These songs sit very well behind these other kind of political songs that he'd written that never had a home before the Wrecking Ball record. And although it had appeared on a studio album and though the album that it reappeared on is less focused in its politics than Wrecking Ball bruce's high hopes album much of which is from 2014 much of which is in collaboration with very left-wing musician tom morello who bruce is like yeah my friend tom he loves bernie sanders like (laughs) like this album i can totally understand why he would record going right back to almost the start of our discussion american skin 41 shots for this album and why he would record the Ghost of Tom Jode for this album, with Morello reprising the crazy guitar solo that he'd performed in live versions. And The Ghost of Tom Jode... You remember those lyrics on We Are Alive that I read a minute ago, you know, I'm such and such at, at these, these different times. Yeah. Um, you know, all these, these different people bonded together by struggle. The Ghost of Tom Jode, for kind of climactic verse is... Now Tom said, Mum, whenever there's a cop beating a guy... Wherever a hungry newborn baby cries, where there's a fight against the blood and hatred in the air, look for me, Mum. I'll be there. Wherever somebody's fighting for a place to stand, or a decent job or a helping hand, wherever somebody's struggling to be free, look in their eyes, Ma, and you'll see me. I mean, this is an extraordinary thing for, like, a guy who's basically liberal in his politics and friends with Obama to write.
2: <laughs> and th- this, is,
1: this
2: is why I'm... He literally did a podcast with Obama, Well, right? this is
1: why I'm saying, so, like, the, the, <laughs> Bruce's trajectory with Obama from working on a dream through to wrecking ball through to renegades born in the USA really captures where a lot of liberals, or at least the more conscientious ones, but imperfect ones were great so inspiring in 2009 2012 shit i'm pretty disappointed by this he hasn't made the kind of fundamental changes i thought he would 2021 oh man i wish obama was back here (laughs) oh my god wish we had that guy for a third term you know to quit to quote our man in get out (laughs) like um that's really a journey Bruce had been on. I can just imagine, like, he puts out Wrecking Ball and the CIA HQ, Langley House, they're just like, Boss, it's the boss.
3: <laughs> he's
1: getting too close to the truth about capitalism, about imperialism. We need to intervene. They're like, Should, do we, do we, do, should we whack him? Should we JFK the guy? They're like, No. Let's just invite him to lots of cool parties at the White House.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Let's ensure the election of Donald Trump.
1: Let's make things so bad that he longs for a president who disappointed him. Although, I mean, you know, there's a couple of lines on Wrecking Ball where he's like, there's this one on Jack of All Trades where he's like, you know, he's talking about bankers. He's like, if if I I had had me a gun. gun... I'd, I'd find the, the bastards, bastards and shoot <laughs> them on the side <laughs> and then there's an, another one like oh, yeah on Death to My Hometown he's like send the robber barons straight to hell these greedy thieves nice. who came around and ate the flesh of everything they've found whose crimes have gone unpunished now who walk the streets as free men now they brought death to my hometown send the robber barons straight to hell the
0: greedy thieves who came around walk the streets a screaming now. Uh, they brought death to our hometown boys. Death to our hometown boys. Death to
1: our hometown boys. Death to our hometown boys. Our hometown. Hey! Hey! So he's like, you know, saying that bank, so the bankers should be, if not killed, <laughs> then certainly imprisoned.
2: I get the impression of someone a bit like my own dad, honestly, <laughs> in that a liberal... Who believes that they are way more left wing than they really are? Like in some yeah, ways, yeah. He like someone who like it says a lot of socialist stuff, but then when it comes to voting time, is like ah. But Biden, yeah, we gotta have Trump a unifying really, figure, you know. Uh,
1: but I mean, you know, he's yeah. he's good on like the issues, you know, generally, but he doesn't like he yeah. doesn't draw necessarily always draw it together into a viewpoint like
2: that's the same as my dad honestly yeah. like if you ask him about a lot of individual issues he's quite left-wing but then yeah he doesn't have that worldview that really brings it all together as oh this is a part of capitalism that's inseparable yeah. and will always keep re-emerging no matter how hard you reform it exactly but yeah.
1: you know even on his shitty stupid obama podcast he did take obama to task about not jailing not jailing any of the bankers so he still believes the same thing on that that he he did in 2012 (laughs) just a couple of other cool politics adjacent things about bruce in 2016 he canceled a show in north carolina due to their anti-transgender laws it's one of those stupid fucking bathroom laws i think yeah. A lot of other artists did as well Like Ringo Starr, apparently a Supporter of trans rights, good to know But, but like But yeah, Bruce cancelled that show He put out a decent statement on that And in 2013 On the Wrecking Ball Tour Bruce played in Chile And um, he opened the encore With a cover of the song Manifesto By Victor Hara The very, very important chilean singer-songwriter who was murdered in santiago stadium by the mm. fascists in 1973 during the chilean coup so i mean yeah bruce is somebody who you know he gave money to the miners' strike in the 80s you know he's somebody who has like quite often been paying attention to what's going on around the world and has, has really like been on the right side of most issues that he's weighed in on so yeah it's disappointing to see him hanging out with obama but but, like his music still (laughs) fucking bangs and you know he's 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 done a lot more good than he has harmed
2: I think it's fucking hilarious, honestly. More than anything else, <laughs> yeah. it's it's just jokes. Yeah. Just- I, I, honestly, like I've got an anarchist friend. I won't only name names, but they've got a sister who's involved in local politics where they are, and as part of that job, she regularly meets Kamala Harris. Oh right, yeah. So it's kind of weird that this <laughs> anarchist, who's friends with a Marxist, is like four points of connection three points of connection away from the president yeah. <laughs> president bond as i kind of get that similar feeling with bruce and obama just like it's just like except they're, they're obviously both famous but it's just kind of weird it's not a connection you'd expect yeah yeah, yeah i
1: did i thought bruce i don't hate him no, for it but
2: not. it's it's just funny it's i funny, thought
1: man. bruce seemed a bit out of place with Obama he didn't seem wholly comfortable with the whole enterprise maybe I'm just projecting my own discomfort of the whole thing onto him (laughs) but you know Bruce is a thoughtful guy you know he's always got some kind of internal monologue going and maybe there is something like in the back of his head like well he didn't jail the bankers (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah
2: they are ultimately of the same sort of class and so they're gonna rub rub elbows
3: yeah
0: I'll see you in-
1: I didn't realise that they, they performed uh, a couple of songs from the last album on Saturday Night Live. Um, the East Street Band haven't done a proper gig since 2017. I think they were gonna tour in the last couple of years, but I think Covid stuff put the kibosh on it. Oh wow, their first ever gig, the SNL performance, uh, without Gary Tallent, their bassist, who at this point, since Danny Fred and Clarence Clemens died, Gary Tallent, the bassist, is actually the only uh, original member of the E Street Band still playing with them, other than Bruce Springsteen. So just a, just a bit of fun trivia there for you about Gary Tallent. Yeah. But yeah, Bruce actually, just last year, a uh, Little Nugget, he performed I'll See You In My Dreams from a letter to you in a tribute to the victims of the September 11th attacks. So he's not forgotten the uh, terrible event that inspired the rising album. never
2: forget <laughs> never no, never
1: forget this is a 911 no no this cups. is a 911 memorial podcast
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh this is quite this is cool okay so for the- wrecking ball tour right in 2012 it finished second only to Roger Waters Like, the best friend that the Palestinians have in in the world of rock. So, like, that's a pretty (laughs) good year politically for the top-grossing tours. (laughs) Like, the Wrecking Ball tour, like, Bruce's recession-era anti-capitalist fucking... 20 person band rock and soul review, and then Roger Waters is like, I don't know what exactly his it was probably like touring the wall or something, but like his tour at the moment, Roger Waters is like projecting like the faces of like Obama, Trump, Biden, and Bush up with like war criminal written under them, like <laughs> <laughs> legend. Um, yeah, man, should we should we uh call it for, for the night? I know you want to get yeah, going. Uh... yeah, man.